So we're going through stewardship. It was something that I felt like in the summer we needed to just pause from uh, preaching through Acts and just look at this, this word stewardship. And I had, a, I had it mapped out. I, I could show you a, a, a printed out piece of paper that had every week throughout the summer mapped out and what we would be preaching on that week. And, and uh, God in his infinite wisdom took that plan one day and, and crinkled it up and said, no, you're, you're not going to do it that way. And uh, I'm not much of a planner, so when I do actually sit and plan and God crumples it up, it doesn't sit right with me because I'm like, come on, man. Uh, but um, so I was telling Dusty this week that in this conversation uh, that I have ongoing with God about this topic of being entrusted in stewardship, coming into about two weeks ago when I was thinking about today and what we would be talking about, I read through this parable, and it wasn't intentional. I didn't read through it to try to develop a sermon out of it. I I was just reading through the teachings of Jesus on my own time, just trying to figure out and grapple with how he communicated and why he communicated that way. And uh, that's whenever I felt like I was sitting across the desk from God himself and having a full-fledged conversation. I told Dusty this week that if you were in the office that morning, you might have thought I was insane because I was audibly speaking back and forth to an entity that was very clearly there, but you may not have seen. Uh, And I'm, I'm talking about like, okay, we've got to talk about this and this and this, and that's definitely what we want. And I felt like God was saying, no, that's too easy. Well, what do you mean that's too easy? Well, anybody could do that. Not just talk about it. Anyone can obey that. You, you, give, you give someone a list of things they can do, anybody can do them. You stand up and say that the Bible says that we need to be good, te- good stewards of our time and talents and treasures, and, and that's according to this parable, then I felt like God was saying, yeah, you could do that, but that doesn't really match up with what you were seeking to find out. You were seeking to find out how I communicated and why I communicated that way, and now you're about to go teach this lesson from the Word, and it doesn't match up with the, with the answer that you were looking for. So it's kind of a mind-blowing moment for me. And uh, so I want to remind you where we've been and where we're going to keep talking about, and it's this First Thessalonians passage in chapter 2 of First Thessalonians, verse 4. You've heard it several times. Maybe now by now you have it memorized and locked into your brain, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4, that's one that I would say is worthy of being memorized and locked into our hearts because what Paul is talking about to the church in Thessalonica is that you, you need to understand what you've been entrusted with and that's why I'm here, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, that's why the church is, is got established in Thessalonica. Passage that really hit me this week though that I want to draw our attention to is in 2 Corinthians, I'll ask you to turn there. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's on page 667. I found myself glad that we weren't preaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 or 2 or 3 because it's on page 666, and I thought they probably shouldn't even put that page in the Bible, right? But, uh, so page 667 of, uh, of the Bible that's in front of you, if you want to turn to that, it's in 2 Corinthians so again, like I said, uh, we've been talking about this word entrusted. And that, when I started thinking through and praying through that we were going to really 
dive into this topic of stewardship for the summer and just really wrestle with what does the Word of God say. I read some good books on it, and they are really fantastic books. I can recommend them to you if you're looking for more tools and resources. One of them I would would highly recommend is The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. It really was driving my thoughts and, and, and where I felt we needed to wrestle with some of these things. And then, like I said, God just sort of crumbled that up and said, that's good for you to know. That's good tool and resource for you to have, but dig deeper into the word and see what else I'm trying to say there, or see what not trying to say, see what I am saying. So listen to what Paul writes here to a letter to the church in Corinth. This is the second letter we have. We know just by the way that he writes that he wrote at least four letters to the church in Corinth. We have two of them. And uh, this is the second one that we have. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start at verse 17. I'm going to read through the first verse of chapter 6. Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Did you hear that word entrusted in there? Did you hear it again? Do you hear the same thematic thing that Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica that he's saying here to the church in Corinth? In verse 19, he's saying that, that uh, God was reconciled through Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. He's writing this letter to the church. I often wonder, did Paul know that this letter would reach the hands of so many outside of Corinth? I often wonder if he knew. From his writing style, there tends to be a, 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 that he's writing to a much broader audience. He's writing as, as if he's responding to God himself. But he's speaking specifically to this church in Corinth. I had a Bible prof that anytime we opened up one of these letters, he'd say, just remember, you just snooped your nose into somebody else's mail. How does it apply to you? What awakens in you when you read it? Because even though it was written for another audience, it's the divinely inspired word of God, and it's handed to you over the generations. So in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. I love the next part. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us what? The message of reconciliation. 
Now listen, we've said it before, we'll keep saying it, that this is all about being entrusted with the gospel. And that's the same thing Paul's saying here. He's just saying it in a more beautiful way. He's saying that we are entrusted with the message of reconciliation, that that we are lost, that we're interacting with a world that does not know what it feels like to have close-knit relationship with Jesus, to know what it's like to walk and talk with God like we did in the garden. He's saying that we've been entrusted with the pathway back. We've been entrusted with the map and the medicine. That's what we've been entrusted with. And then verse 20. Therefore. So, if through Christ God was reconciling the world to himself... God is not counting the trespasses against them, and He's entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And because of those things, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God. Listen to this. It's your job description, so you better tune into this. It's it's our job description. God making His appeal through us. That is the follower of Christ's job description. Do you ever get a document and you read through it and you think, you could have said that in three sentences? Anyone? Yeah, like you, you get that. I hope you've been there. Hopefully me and Clapper aren't the only two that have ever experienced that. Uh, but you... you you sit through a, a, a sales presentation. I was at Walmart, and this guy tried to get me to sign up for Internet with a company that I'm not with right now. And his deal that he offered me in the final end was that I could get connected to hotspots, and my Internet would be the same price, and I wouldn't have it as fast. And I wanted to be like, dude, you should have led with that. I could have just walked away and said no then. Like, you could have summed it all up. We tend to be too wordy, right? Paul's not doing that to us in this moment. He's not being wordy. He's cutting straight to the point. You've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. He tells the church you've been entrusted with, the church in Thessalonica, you've been entrusted with the gospel. And then it says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? If I, Okay, so I wear the title of ambassador for Christ. What's the job description? Print it out for me. Give it to me. Paul says, no, just listen real quick. You are an ambassador for Christ. God is making his appeal through you. That should feel heavy, folks. There should be a weightiness that comes with understanding what that means. The God who spoke the heavens into existence, the God who spoke these mountains and oceans and and everything in our world into existence, the God who in just the breath coming out of his mouth can create gravity, can put a planet at the perfect axis spinning at the exact right speed for life to be sustained here. In an instant creates that, that same God. That same God is putting the banner of ambassador of his kingdom in our hands and making his appeal of his worthiness through us. 
which leads me to believe that there are people who are worthy ambassadors who are carrying and stewarding the gospel well and those who are not. If we claim the blood of Jesus in our lives, we are ambassadors of a kingdom that is not here. If we are those who are in Christ, we are not even Americans. We are citizens of heaven living on this soil. So the politics of heaven come of prominent importance to me over the politics of where my feet are standing. You see, that's where Paul gets at whenever he's he's encouraging Timothy, don't get wrapped up in petty squabbles that just lead to dissension. You're not of this world. You are not of this place. This is not where you are from. If you're going to be a patriot, be a patriot of heaven. Wear that banner well. It's not secondary to your citizenship. Your citizenship on earth is secondary to your heavenly citizenship. That is vastly important for us to grapple with. So I I, I lay that groundwork because for the next parable, I, I believe... For the parable we're going to look at today to make complete sense to us, we have to understand that really deep-rooted truth that Jesus and Paul and Peter and John, as they write the epistles, all take moments to hammer into our hearts and into our heads the concept of what we are really ambassadors of. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God which means we are citizens of the kingdom of God sent somewhere else to represent our king. And our king is Jesus. Our conquering king, by the way, is Jesus. Now, Jesus... Uh, speaks of, I'm going to get to where we're going in a second, but I just want to give us a little bit, of, a little bit more foundational understanding here. Jesus talks about him coming back. He talks about the second coming. He talks about the final judgment. He, he does that in uh, Matthew 25, where we're going to turn. But sandwiched in between talking about the, the final judgment, he has these few parables, and the one of which we're going to look at today. And when I look at that, I hope you can follow my logic here, but when I look at that, I see a connection there that I never really saw before. I see that Paul is looking back on the teachings of Jesus, right? He's, he's seeing them in hindsight. He wasn't there in the moment. So maybe if you were there in the moment, you might not have made these connections, but Paul is making them. He's saying that we are ambassadors of Christ. Listen to the next part. God making his appeal through us. What's the appeal? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's saying that if you're not a friend of God, you are at enmity with God. You are an enemy of God. And Jesus' teaching on the final judgment says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Do not delay, he says. He says that someday God will come back and he will make all of this right. 
And those who claim to know Jesus but don't live it out, those who don't know Jesus or had the opportunity to claim Jesus and didn't, those who, who, who weren't good ambassadors of Jesus, those who did not, did not live in Christ, they will meet a bad end. So what is the marching order of someone who does know Christ? What does stewardship look like for us? It says that we are... God's ambassadors, He is making His appeal through us. As an ambassador of Jesus, God is through us crying out to a lost world, be reconciled to God. Not because you're fearful of what's to come, but because you can't live without what you don't have. That when you see the ugliness of sin, you say, I can't. I can't even fathom another second on this planet without having this captivating grace being the driving force behind my life. I used to be so terrified of the rapture. How many of you have seen Thief in the Night? Right? Thief in the Night. The old 70s film where Jerry has that big waxed mustache, right? Wears the skin-tight white pants. We watched his youth group, made fun of it the whole time. My dad thought it was a great idea. He was mad at us for making fun of it, but I say they should make an updated version if they don't want it made fun of. Those of you who had 70s style, please keep those pictures hidden or you will be made fun of. So. I was so terrified of it. And that was sort of the tactic that was handed down to me was be afraid. You don't want... You don't want to be here when the trumpet blows because life's going to be so terrible. You don't want to be here. So you better give your life to Jesus because you never know. It could be, man, it could be right now. I was at a conference one time as, a, as a, a, a teenager, and while the speaker was speaking, he had this big buzzer go off right in the middle of his talk, and he was like, just imagine if that was the rapture. How many of you wouldn't be here? How many of you would? And I'm like, i got to go to heaven. Uh, call me up front, right? I'm terrified right now. That wasn't grace that captivated me. That wasn't the love of God that sent His Son as a sacrifice for my sins that drove me to the front. That was fear. That was emotion. It wasn't real. And because of that, it didn't last. Because as soon as I wasn't in that room anymore with the emotions of that room... The emotions of the moment passed, and I just went back into the same routines. For you to be captivated long-term, it has to be an eternal captivation, right? So Jesus captivates us with his love, with his grace, with his mercy. And then he makes his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God, not because you fear what's to come, but because you just you can't imagine how much better life will be with it. Be captivated by His grace. Let it change you. Let it, let it wash over you. With that in mind, listen to this parable in Matthew 25. It's on page 573 if you're using the Bible in front of you. But in Matthew 25, we're going to look at verses 14 through 30. This is a pretty common parable. Uh, but if you look at the tail end of verse uh, 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 the tail end of chapter 24, he's talking about no one knows the day or the hour. And if you go to the end of this one and into, into verse 31, 
Jesus keeps teaching about the final judgment. But sandwiched in between him talking about the second coming, the days when the final judgment will happen, is this parable. Starting at verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made Two talents more, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received that was my my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place... There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, put yourself in the place of the people listening to this. Talents are a vast sum of money back then. I'm not even going to try to calculate the number because I don't know. Let's just say it's really big, though. A lot of zeros attached to it. So he's giving them this, these, he's entrusting them with a vast sum of money before he goes away on his journey. He's entrusting them with it. Three servants at the level of which he felt they were capable of doing something with what he was entrusting them with. One takes it, doubles it. Second one takes it, doubles it. The third one, I want you to look at what he's saying. He comes to the master. Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your towel in the ground. Here's your money back. Now for years, I just read that as a story. I just read it as a story. And because they use the monetary term talents, I've heard it misinterpreted for decades that this is all about your talents and abilities. God has entrusted some with more talents and abilities than others. So no, you can't sing like the person next to you, but uh, they've just been entrusted with more talent and abilities than you. And I've just heard it poorly interpreted that way. And, And for a lot of my years, that's just what I believed it to mean. But that's not what he's saying. This is a parable talking about God. The master of the house is God. And so this 
this third servant's view of God. Listen to it again. I found you to be a hard man. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Now, maybe you're sitting here today and that is your view of God. That God is just a hard man. He's a crabby old man sitting on a recliner and when he gets mad, he just gives somebody cancer. And that's just, that's just how God operates. When he gets upset, he just lets somebody's house burn down. And then they're just supposed to stand in the front yard watching their life go to ruin and say, I just must not have had enough faith. Maybe you look at this and say, see, that's just reinforcing the narrative. I've been faithful to God. I've been given jack squat. There are those who aren't as, as from my perspective, they're not near as holy and as as godly as I am and look at all the stuff they've been given. So I used, to, I used to really struggle with this. I used to struggle with like, what does this mean? And then the light bulb comes on and you realize, what have we been entrusted with? The gospel. What have we been given and entrusted with? Now, I would look at this, and, I, and I, I'm going to try to explain myself so it doesn't sound arrogant, because I definitely don't want it to sound like that, but I see myself as the first servant, not because I feel like I've been given so much talent and so much wealth and so much resource, but I have been given the opportunity to stand here, open the pages of God's Word, and interpret them and teach them, and I am held to a higher standard of accountability. That's what the Word of God says. So I feel that that, that like I've been given this opportunity to speak, the, to be God's messenger, to be entrusted with that. So if I take the word of God to make it formulate and move towards my own agenda, I am the wicked servant. It's a weightiness that I don't really uh, want to ever lose. So we've been entrusted with the gospel. We've been given the gospel Stewardship isn't just this practical issue. It is a deeply spiritual one, and it takes discipline. That's the thing that's jumped out of me off the pages of this parable for the first time in the past two weeks is how much discipline it takes to really understand the call to be an ambassador of Jesus, to be entrusted with the gospel, to be able to take what God has invested in me through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son and and invest it back into the people that God puts in my path, to be a good steward of what I've been entrusted with, to understand that, that nothing is mine. Nothing. Except for the gospel. Jesus has made himself mine. I am his and he is mine. I can claim ownership of that. Do you get that? What happened on the cross? I can take ownership of that. 
Jesus has made that mine. He has made that mine. I am his and he is mine. All the rest of it is his. All of it. Tools and resources to actually steward what has been given to me. The gospel was packaged up differently and handed to me than it was for you. What I mean by that is the things that fall inside the box that make up the Johnson family is different than what's in the box that makes up you. But they're all the gospel. We've been redeemed by this grace and we take it and we see what's in front of us and then we use those resources to further the gospel. And when Jesus comes back, he wants to see how we did it. How did we make the God's appeal out to be reconciled to God? How did we do that? How did we use the tools and resources available to us to step into the world and say that God is making his appeal through me to, for you to be reconciled to God? It can't just be because we stand up here and bark at people for an hour and a half every Sunday. It can't be because we get together and sing good songs. It can't be because we attend something every other week. It can't be because we we raised our hand at a church camp when we were 11. And we have a good attendance record since then. It can't be because we don't swear and watch R-rated movies. It's got to be something more than that, right? Right? Do you think whenever Paul says that God is making his appeal to the masses through you, that he meant just if, you just, if you just stay away from certain sinful activities, that'll be enough? Do you think that's what he meant? Or do you think that he meant it to be something that you meet on a road, get captivated by the blinding love of Jesus, and then it alters your path? drastically from that day to the day God calls you home. Do you think that's what he meant? Because I think that's what he meant. I think the moment of conversion, if you want to call it that, the, Paul's moment where he actually is woken up to the reality of who Jesus is and who he is in light of Jesus, it was a life-altering moment. And nothing else mattered other than making an appeal, God making his appeal through him to be reconciled to God. The implications of stewarding or not stewarding the gospel show up plain as day in this parable. I'm not going to shy away from it, but I'll be honest with you, there's a part of me that wants to. Do you hear the implications of the man who was not stewarding the gospel well, who did not understand the heart of his master, who took no time to understand what his master was really all about or who he was? He says, I was afraid that I'd I'd screw it up somehow. I was afraid that my words would be clumsy. I was afraid that, 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 that I just wouldn't get it right. I was afraid I'd offend them. I'd afraid, I was afraid how it would come across. I was, I was afraid. So I just took the gospel. I lived out of what, I, what it gave me. I made sure that I gave it to my kids and to my, to my family and those closest to me. But outside of that, I just was so, uh, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> the response, you wicked and slothful servant. You sinful and lazy servant. 
you knew what I reap where I have you you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed if you if you knew if you knew anything about me you would have invested something you wouldn't have just buried it in the ground and he's saying to the servant you you don't know me you don't know your master And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He goes on in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And He goes on to describe this. He goes on to describe what this moment will look like. Do you know what happens next? Chronologically in the story of Scripture. you know what happens next? The plot to kill Jesus. There were people that heard this and they just couldn't take it. They couldn't stand it. They couldn't swallow it. And they just, it was so counter what they had believed religion to look like. And they just didn't want anything to do with it. Look back with me in Matthew chapter 6. I think it's important for us to see this. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to close it up here. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. This is what Jesus says. Listen up. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question I have to ask myself, the question that I'm going to ask you this morning is this, do you treasure the gospel? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I had someone ask me one time, look at your life and ask yourself, what is that one thing that you just could not live without? If that one thing was taken from you, it would devastate you, it would destroy you, it would end you. If the answer to that question is not the gospel, then you just found out what your idols are. This is hard stuff. But we've strayed so far away from this foundational truth in the church today that we, we, this feels confrontational and it feels new and it feels hard and it feels harsh, but it shouldn't because this was given to us by Jesus thousands of years ago, reinforced throughout the epistles for thousands of years. And here we stand today and we read this and we go through it and we study it, myself included, and I'm like, why didn't I know this? Man, I could make a whole list of people that had the opportunity to teach me this stuff and they didn't. And that would make me feel better because it would be somebody else's fault. It was my fault that I didn't grapple with this stuff until later in life. Some of you are saying later in life, you're not even 40 years old yet, but still. I 
I grew up in a home that had the Bible in it. It was prominent. We went to church all the time. I've said this before. But why is this information new to me? Why am I looking and saying that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also? So you can't treasure wealth. That's what Jesus is saying. No, that's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying, I'm the treasure. I'm the treasure. Jesus says, the gospel that gets infused in you and the veil is torn and you become the residing place of the Holy Spirit, that's the treasure. Does your heart want that more than anything else? More than any accolades, more than any certificate you can hang on the wall, more than any dollar amount in a savings account, more than any outfit that you can be wearing, more than any pretty day that you can plan, more than anything. Your heart beats more than anything. To see those you come in contact with reconciled to God. Because you and I are ambassadors of God. As God is making his plea to all of humanity be reconciled to God. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it all comes full circle back to what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 5. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see, for our sake, for us, for our gift, for our benefit, Jesus Christ made himself sin. And he did not even know what sin felt like. He didn't know the ugliness of walking towards sin. He didn't know what disobedience was like. He didn't know it. He knew not sin. Now, you and I can't wrap our heads around that because we were born into it. But Jesus lived on this earth all those years and never once sinned. And what he did then is he said, I know I didn't ever sin. I know I don't deserve it, but I'm going to take all of their junk, all of their mess. I want you to stick it onto me. I will carry that weight. I will take it to the cross and I will be the perfect sacrifice on their behalf. For their sake, I will be made sin. I've known no sin. I will take it upon myself. Why? So that in me, you might become something that only up to this point I have had and that is the righteousness of God. Up to this point, you have never had it and you will never have it if you continue down this path. So I'm going to take something that you are and I'm going to make it me so that what is me becomes you. That is the redeeming work of the cross of Christ. That is what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. It has very little to do with how we've defined it today in our generation has everything to do with how it's been defined for thousands of years. So are we, you can steward your money well, you can give money to the church and nonprofit organizations, and believe me, I thank you for it. I carry the weight of knowing that you worked all week and a portion of that helps put food on my table. You can give your talents and your time over to God and at the end of the day, not treasure the gospel. And that church is not stewardship. That's just you doing good things. True, lasting stewardship is treasuring the message of Christ, the gospel, more than anything else. And your heart beats for it. And you become an ambassador 
waving the banner of the gospel out to a watching world saying, be reconciled to God. That's the mission of the church. That's stewardship. That's us raising our hands and saying, we trust you. Your ways are higher than our own. What you desire for me is higher than what I will ever desire for myself. We trust you. God, thank you for the weight and responsibility that this feels like, and yet, at the same time, the freedom that comes along with knowing that you've already done the work. Thank you that you've promised it's in your word that the gospel is offensive to those who don't believe, so we should stop worrying about whether or not we're going to offend people because you've already told us we will. God, I pray that we can look at your word and we can trust you, that we can say that you are are worthy, not just for salvation, not just to be made whole, but to be ambassadors who take this out to those around us. Lord, I pray that your spirit is convicting and grappling with sin right here and right now, that we can leave true stewards, true ambassadors, waving a banner to a watching world, that redemption can be theirs and reconciliation to God can be, is afforded to them. And we've experienced it and we are charged with giving it freely away to the world around us. So may we not just come into this setting and into the settings that you've afforded to us to discover this truth and be discipled in it, but to deliver it out because that's the true call of a redeemed one. 